Hi, I'm Cheryl and Fenn. Hello, this is Christabel. Hello, this is Michael Horse. Do you enjoy listening to Twin Peaks Unwrapped, the podcast? Have you picked up our book yet? Twin Peaks Unwrapped, the book. That has over 100 cast and crew who have contributed to this book. And it's, I think people really love it. I mean, we also have community commentary where a lot of the community have participated in this. It's just a great book. We recommend you pick it up at bluerosemag.com. Thank you for your interest and for your enthusiasm and, and keeping Twin Peaks alive. I'm Mark Frost, and you're listening to Twin Peaks Unwrapped. I've got idea Welcome to Twin Peaks Unwrapped. I'm your host, Ben Durant. And I'm Joel Baco. And beside me is Brian Kazaska. Today's show is... The Secret History of Twin Peaks. So why are we waiting so long here? It's been two well, weeks. It's we, been out. We've mentioned how we didn't want to get into this right away. We wanted people to read it, listen to it, consume it, talk about it, and then we felt comfortable to talk about it on the podcast. Yeah. And we did get we did get the books a little earlier, a few days earlier than yeah. It was for me. It wasn't enough time to get it. No, it reader. wasn't enough time. I had to read the whole thing before the Mark Frost interview. I wanted to be able to consume it, so I kind of got a good sense of what the book was. Yeah. But even then, I I read it, or my wife would read. <laughs> my wife my <laughs> wife was the book on tape. Uh, we'd be driving, and, I, and my wife would be reading to me as we're get going places because we have a pretty busy life, but we're trying to make time to read the book. People read to you. Yes. So yeah, I consumed it all, but I, I definitely need need to read it again and i'm yeah. listening to it on audible yeah i got about a hundred pages in and i went oh there's the audible version so i went to like, that why are you taking up all your time reading when you can lead listening yeah well uh, i hear you. i figured since you're reading it i was like i'll go audible that way you have two different experiences yeah the book has everything the audible version's cool for other reasons but you're missing the pictures and the illustrations and the what well, looks like a postcard and yeah. a, a letter not, you don't see that. Right. So. so tell me, what did you think of this the, this book? I liked it. I like the audio book. I like ha- hearing uh, Kyle MacLachlan. I mm. like hearing some of the voices. They did use other actors. Joel, we want to know, what do you think of the book? I I really enjoyed it. I thought that it was a lot of fun. Uh, I got a kick out of it. Some of the things that annoyed other people annoyed me. Some of the ones didn't so much. Mm. Overall, I mean, I was had a lot of fun with it. It's kind of cool to be looking at Twin Peaks and studying it and talking about it and watching it so intensely and then something new comes along. You know, mm. I know you guys have talked about that too. It takes a, almost takes a little getting used to it. It's like, at what point are we really realizing that Twin Peaks, and I mean, obviously this will be even more true after the new series start, Twin Peaks is no longer what we've known it is for, you know, for some of us, 25 years. Right. I mean, it's interesting how the, the structure of this book is told. We have yeah. 
an agent TP who is looking through dossier. Yeah, files and everything. Right. And yeah. so we have the archivist who is giving notes. We learn about Doug Milford. Yep. And he has, I think, been collecting stuff as well. So he's been collecting some of the stuff. And he says near the end of the book that he, he would sometimes purposely leave things for Major Briggs for, to find. I think it's safe to say we know that Major Briggs is archivist. When we were at the Barnes & Noble book event, I think I know who that is. And then Mark from... Dear Meta Radio said, yeah, yeah, you know, I have my theories. And then when we were listening to it, I went, yeah. And I, I turned to Mark and I said, I, my theory is this. And he goes, yeah, mine too. Uh, yeah, 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 and I was right. And, but. I, and I, just, getting in the, just getting into the beginning of the book, I felt like, boy, the, most, per, the perfect person you'd yeah. want would be Major Briggs. Because Major Briggs always had all the secrets. I mean, he, he was involved with stuff going on in the, in the woods. And he had these military background. And he it would disappear like, all the time. He'd disappear all the time. So yeah. he, he was part of like the mythology of Twin Peaks. It's like, there wouldn't be a better person than to have. And he seems like somebody that was really into researching and getting the facts. And he seemed like the perfect person to be I, the archivist. I, I totally agree. And also, you make a good point. He was the person that almost gave us the history of Twin Peaks on the show. Mm. Right through his eyes, we knew he would disappear in the woods. He was the one that came to uh, Cooper with the piece of paper. I have a message for you. From whom? Now, I'm not at liberty to reveal the nature of my work. This secrecy pains me from time to time. Any bureaucracy that functions in secret inevitably blends itself to corruption. But these rules I have pledged to uphold, and I believe a pledge is sacred. Speaking as a man and a fellow employee of the federal government, so do I. Well, I may reveal this much. Among my many tasks is the maintenance of deep space monitors aimed at galaxies beyond our own. We routinely receive various communications, space garbage to decode and examine. They look something like this. It's radio waves and gibberish, Agent Cooper. Till Thursday night. Friday morning, to be exact. Around the time that I was shot. The readout took us by surprise. Row after row of gibberish, and all of a sudden, the owls are not what they seem. Why did you bring this to me? Because later in the morning, Cooper. the dossier stuff, I mean, I think we touched on this last time. Like, I think that's a brilliant move because it, it ties it in with all the other Twin Peaks media. And mm. I know you guys yep. brought that up to Frost itself. It's like, yeah. that's really, that's so very Twin Peaks. In terms of the structure of it, I like the format a lot. I enjoyed reading it. It does, It. I found it to be a little bit slow going in terms of 
all the different styles and all the different notes and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I was amazed some people read it so quickly. I was like, I got to do a little doses each day. And then I ended up, you know, reading a lot on the weekend and finishing it about uh, almost a week ago. What's some of your favorite parts of the book? I really I enjoyed the Lewis and Clark thing. Also, the stuff with Chief Joseph when I mm-hmm. got into that, which is almost more straight history. Some yeah, of it, yeah. I mean, some of it, obviously, you know. They fictionalized everything, but but that stuff was really interesting to read. And then after that, probably some of the early things with Twin Peaks, where they're talking about Andrew Packard and the woods Mm. and the Boy Scout and that stuff. That was just kind of fun, because I think that was kind of our first glimpse into the Twin Peaks people that we knew. That was Mm. like our earliest one. Yeah. Um, I I liked the whole log lady and Carl Rod getting abducted. And, Mm. you know, seeing Carl Rod in the year was a lot of fun. I was happy to see that. Mark Frost did take uh, stuff from Firewalk with me. I mean, he brought in right away. He brought in the Owl Ring at the beginning well, of the Lewis book. And, Lewis and Clark, right? Lewis and Clark. It looks like. Uh... But then, like this ring seems to have gone around. The scene where Richard Nixon wearing the ring that yes. we see on a teenage prostitute from a trailer park in Firewalk with mm. me. Just want to point that out. He's wearing that ring about 15 years before Teresa Banks. So that's an interesting uh, progression of, of events. Uh, so so Richard Nixon wearing this, this Firewalk with me ring with Jackie Gleason mm. and Dougie Milford goes to see a little gray alien thing in an underground bunker. And, uh, and, I mean, to be clear, too, it was actually pretty creepy the way it was described, like the psychic yeah. attacks. I'm not saying it was pure comedy, but, I mean, that's, that's Jackie Gleason's in there. Jackie yeah. Gleason is now officially part of the canon of Twin Peaks. Yeah, right. But you either are going to hate that or you're going to love it. That's just so absurd. The ring in this book was interesting, but for me, it did feel like the ring is like Forrest Gump, and he went through this. This ring has traveled through history. <laughs> and different... Are you saying you don't like Forrest Gump? No, I love Forrest Gump. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know how I feel about the ring having this history. Okay. It was probably my least favorite part of the book. I heard a few people make that comparison, actually, and I think I called it at one point, the so the ring is like the feather in Forrest Gump. This is definitely like a very historical Twin Peaks. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. that's and one of the number one differences from David Lynch's Twin Peaks. His exists kind of outside of history and the sort of timeless quality, and and Mark Frost is all about contextualizing it in a Mm. larger history that's real. That's one of the biggest differences between them, and this book really highlights it. Joel, I think you hit the nail right on the head there. Twin Peaks was its own world, and this book made it part of our world they grounded twin peaks in a way bringing in the historical figures in real history it made twin peaks feel part of the world we live in donald trump is in it (laughs) yeah which is weird huh another forrest gump moment and you were saying, I think you mentioned uh, Lewis from Lewis and Clark. I really did love that section, especially because I yeah. didn't know all the history. I didn't realize, well, there's controversy on whether it was a suicide or his family to this day still want yeah. want to get the body and see if he might have been murdered and stuff. But it was interesting to have that background. And then it seems like it's tied in with the ring. He he got the ring. Yeah. He's holding on to the ring. Yeah. Did the ring make him crazy? Did the ring make him possessed? Or is people coming after him for the ring? Yeah, that's true, too, when you put it that way. Even after reading this book, we still really don't know what the ring ring signifies or what it does, you know, at all, really. It's, It's kind of left to the new series to hopefully kind of 
not explain, but ex- but but clarify. Maybe I don't know. Maybe, if clarify yeah. is the word you want to use with Lynch, but right. And it's interesting. The Native American also said to I think Lewis not to wear it. So it's going to make me think about Cooper saying, don't wear the ring. I think the ring to me signifies that mystical element, the spirits and the evil in the woods, which we don't Mm. get that. We don't get we don't get Bob. We don't get the little man. We do get there's there's many mentions of giants, which to me makes me think of the the spiritual giant giant there. Yeah. uh, That came to Cooper. That's what I got, too. Yeah. But but we get only only little little bit of a feeling that there is the spirits in the woods. And so I feel like that ring is what ties us. You mentioned the ring with Cooper. I wonder if that ring was brought into the series on Firewalk with me. But what if that ring hadn't? What if that ring was with us the whole time? Because it's interesting the giant takes Cooper's ring. Mm-hmm. But it's not the ring. But what if it was the ring? Yeah. And that's an interesting question because I also think, why does Cooper have a ring on? He's not married. Right. He wasn't engaged. Well, we learned about this. We learned that it was his, from the, the Cooper book. We learned that that ring was his mother's ring. And she... Oh, and she had the dreams, too. She had the weird dreams. And so it's mm. funny. I there totally is, forgot about yeah. that. Yeah, and so good point. For at least from the, from the book, we learned that it was the mother's ring. And maybe there was something special about mm. that ring. And then Mike the Spirit there talks about the idea of a ring, a circle between Bob and himself. And so clearly, I think David Lynch and Bob Angles used a lot of this material that was in Twin Peaks series and kind of brought it into the movie. It's interesting that David Lynch did Firewalk with me and he went and gave us Laura Palmer, went back, where Mark Frost said he wanted to go forward. Then this book comes out and Mark Frost doesn't go forward, goes backwards. Because mm. it's the history. And he did this by himself. He had no influence from Lynch at all. He told yeah. us in an interview. Yes. It's like Mark Frost unbound, kind of, the way David mm. Lynch was with Firewalk with me. Like, this book is basically Mark Frost's Firewalk with me. It's, it's funny because I listened to your interview, and I listened to Brad Dukes, and, of course, both of you, and a lot of people everywhere are asking about Firewalk with me. Mm. I've heard it come up a lot. It came up in a sort of an AMA he did on io9. It's a right. website. Um, I posted, a li- I tweeted a link to it. It comes up a lot. And, um, you know, with you guys, he kind of had to answer it. With that one, he didn't have to, really, so he kind of avoided it. Mm. But it's interesting, the sense I'm getting, not to put words in his mouth, but it seems like he's come to, like, a piece with Firewalk with me. Mm-hmm. But it definitely doesn't seem like he. it's really his jam, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Um, and even the stuff he says about it, he kind of talks more about the missing pieces than Firewalk with me, so I kind of get the sense that, like, what interested him about it was more the world-building stuff. Mm. So, like, the ring, Jeffries, and there is a strong sense, even more so than on the show, in the film, that the FBI is very enmeshed with supernatural, mm. uh, paranormal phenomenon, you know? I mean, because in the show, the FBI is stumbling across this information that the military has, Mm. which is very X-Files, you know? Yeah. Um, but then in, basically, if the, the Twin Peaks is what would happen if you had, like, Spooky Mulder, but was act, <laughs> instead of being locked away in a corner office, he actually had like, his own, you know, division or right. whatever unit that Gordon Cole runs. Because yeah. he's basically... He's basically like that character, but like with a whole crew of agents with mm. him, you know? I've been watching some of the early episodes of X-Files lately, and it's like they're very much butting up against the bureaucracy within their organization. Yes. Yeah. But uh, he sets up a world where, you know, the FBI is kind of uh, open to this stuff and investigating it, even if other government agencies maybe are a little more... 
Oregon female, age 21, no explainable cause of death. Autopsy shows nothing. Zip. There are, however, these two distinct marks on her lower back. Dr. Scully, can you ID these marks? Needle punctures, maybe. An animal bite. Electrocution of some kind. How's your chemistry? This is the substance found in the surrounding tissue. It's organic. I don't know. Is it some kind of synthetic protein? It's me. I've never seen it before either. But here it is again in Sturgis, South Dakota. And again in Shamrock, Texas. Do you have a theory? I have plenty of theories. Maybe what you can explain to me is why it's bureau policy to label these cases as unexplained phenomena and ignore them. Do you believe in the existence of extraterrestrials? Is this really the secret history of the X-Files? Yeah. <laughs> it was, it, there was like long passages of about like how there were these sightings. We should get into Doug Milford. I yeah. mean, Doug Milford is w with the military and he seems to be a man in black and he seems to be covering up. First, it seems like he's covering up uh, aliens uh, yeah, know, yeah, sightings. But now you're wondering, is the government doing other things that they're trying to cover up? We saw this in, in, in the second scene of Twin Peaks. There was, Major Briggs appeared to be abducted with a white light. But I always felt that in the show, when he make he would go into the lodge. He was going somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Like, I didn't feel like he was being abducted. Right. But they would have the three things. The tattoos. The, tat right. the little markings, right. and the log lady had it. And you noticed it today? My log noticed. I remember. What do you remember, Margaret? Look at the back of my leg. I was seven years old. I went walking up in the woods. And when I got back, I was told that I had disappeared for a day. All I could recall was a, a flash of light, and, and that mark was on my leg. We all three recall the light. And also, the call of the owl. Yes, I remember. The only other time I, I saw that sight and heard that sound was right before my husband died in the fire. Actually, just last night, talked to John Thorne, um, and that interview probably won't be published for another month or two, just because I've got so much stuff I'm, I'm working on right now mm. that it's it's a little bit on the back burner. But I wanted to sort of share thoughts with him right after the book came out, even if it doesn't come out right away. Yeah, and he's gone on the Red Room podcast, and um, I don't know if he's talked to you guys since since the the book, but I he's talk, seen talk two two sort of phenomena, if I can speak for, for him. One is, he seems to be somewhat disappointed with the book. He says he would probably recommend it, and he goes back and forth, but overall, you know, um, he was kind of saying, like, wow, when I first read this, I was kind of overcome with this feeling of, like, <laughs> you know, disappointment or whatever, like, this just wasn't wasn't what he was necessarily looking for mm. uh, initially, although, you know, he's come up with some ideas that make it... So that that's the other thing, is the other phenomenon I noticed with him is he was very interested in the idea that Frost is sort of playing tricks with us, mm -hmm. and he's not yeah. nearly alone in that, because I've seen a lot of people 
put those ideas forward. I've even, you know, I think there's like 75 pages of comments on Doug, but yeah. I'm sure a lot of them are from before the book came out, but yeah. a lot of them are from after. And, and it's people, I've heard people, okay, I've cracked the code. And they're going into like all these details about how we're being fooled about this element and that element. And so I haven't read most of that stuff yet. I just have to say instinctively for me, I think I like the book less if it's some sort of forgery, trickery. It's just, mm. it's just a little bit like a, like a dead end. I mean, it would be literally be a dead end, mm. but even like creative feels a little like a dead end to me. Yeah. Um, I'd rather have just the contradictions be there and sort of have to live with them or work them out. If it just becomes like, no, 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 everything canon is true. And the contradictions here are just, uh, this character was doing this for this reason to psych you out. I don't know, because a little too much of an intellectual puzzle. And obviously I love to dig into Twin Peaks and analyze it, pick things apart, but never really been that interested in it as sort of like a parlor game. So that's not to say that everybody who's coming up with this series or embracing those ideas means it that way or takes it that way. That's just for me. If it ended up being that, um, yeah. and you know, I could be surprised. They could do something interesting with that aspect. But it feels a little bit like a okay. Well, why make a whole book of forged documents about right. a fictional show? That just doesn't doesn't do much for me. Yeah, Joel, but, it's interesting. Like when I re- I read the book, I I think I felt like you. I kind of shrugged it off. Was like, okay, there's some inaccuracies. And I was talking with John uh, John Thorne, and he seemed to be yeah. yeah. He seemed to be I really mean, he's depra- got some cool ideas. Don't he's got get cool. Me wrong, oh John yeah. Does, but at first, he seemed really depressed by it. Yeah. At first, he seemed like he really. Was really down with what how inaccurate it was and I think he I think with his theories now and, and where he's going he feels better about the book yeah so I started off with kind of like okay it is what it is but I lately the maybe I'm just getting hyped up by the community that I feel like well maybe yeah. it really is something <laughs> happening here and now I'm thinking, now I feel like I'm gonna go crazy because I started yeah. looking at it and I'm seeing things that are probably not there mm. but uh, yeah. we, we had a there was a Mark Frost reading in New York that Brian and I went to and I swear oh yeah I was that that was awesome we got yeah to, we had a great time we got to meet yeah. him say hi to Mark and it was it was really cool and I swear he said at that reading, and Lana won the Miss Twin Peaks contest. Yeah, he did, because I've heard multiple people confirm that. And it's like, that. what? I mean, like... Your, your ears did not deceive you. <laughs> and it's like, why would he say something like that? And like, and just there's too many yeah. things. Like, in the story, there's a, there's Pete Martell. They say, they describe, he describes Pete Martell as a checkers player, not a chess player. It's like, are you kidding? Yeah, I did see that. I totally <laughs> forgot that until you brought it up. Thank you for bringing yeah, that Yeah, it's like, what? Are you kidding? me this is the champion chess player he could beat two people at the same time he helped cooper over multiple episodes he's helping cooper uh beat um wyndham earl or at least get into a stalemate yeah so it's like these are episodes that mark frost wrote or he's co-wrote and it's like he knows he knows what he's talking about mark frost when we interviewed him he said he doesn't like Mm -hmm. to use the word canon and he doesn't like he just what if this is just his way of telling the story. What if yeah. what if it, he's not playing with anybody and this is just his alternative history to yeah. Twin Peaks? I don't know. It makes me think of Lost Highway where it's like, I like to remember in my own way or something that's, like that. It's just yeah. like, that's the way. Yeah, good point, good comparison. That was out of my first impression. And then my next impression, my, my first impression was either he's changing it just because he feels like it, which it has to be the case because there's no way he could 
especially if you really rewatch the series, there's no way you would not remember like how Ed and Nadine met. You know, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's a big one. Too, yeah, that's the biggest one to me. I think that stood out the most. Even Laura being 18, I mean, he could have just forgotten, but that was such a major point mm. in the pilot of like she's only 17 and 17 years old, and yeah. they say it over and over. <laughs> it's like such a important number, probably because it keeps her just that side of adulthood. So for whatever reason it was, and then in the book it's like, oh, she came to me when she was 18, there's like a whole rationale given for it. And it's yeah, like, Jacoby mm-hmm. there, yeah. Yeah, exactly. My, so that, my first impression was he's forgotten some things and just decided to change others. And then my second impression when I started seeing you and, and John's tweets before I was done, and I was oh. like, oh, I better read it fast. <laughs> but Sorry, it wasn't Joel. giving anything away, but yeah. it, it, no, it was fine. It was more tantalizing than anything else at that point. So I thought, okay, so maybe he's creating an alternate universe because it seemed like that's mm. what Sandra. Now, the third idea that I sort of came to after all that was people talking about, no, there are intentional mistakes and contradictions that are going to show that these are forged documents. And that, like I said, that's probably the option that interests me the least. It feels like a cheat, kind of. Yeah. feels a little bit of a cheat to just make it all put... I mean, also because how are you going to reel that? They're not, this is a David Lynch directed show. I guarantee you he's not going to have characters sit down without expository dialogue about, on page 34 of the dossier, there was a, a, a character who said that, like, it just will, wouldn't happen. And that it, there's no way for it to be resolved. Yeah. Well, here's so the thing even is, aside thought... from not really wanting it to be forged, I don't know how they would ever reveal that, except implicitly. If well... there's, like, contradictions and we're supposed to go back and be like, Oh, the book was forged. It just seems kind well, of Well, look at Laura Palmer's diary, though. Laura Palmer had two diaries. She made a fake diary that she would right. let, let people read, and then she hid the real diary to gave it to Harold. So I was trying to think of what if, yeah. what if some of this is accurate and somebody forged the rest, and then... The evil Cooper, Ben, was saying, <laughs> well, I mean, changed the right. history. There's one theory that, yeah, it could be Cooper changing. Yes, I, I, I saw that. Or Windermere. Yeah. Or Windermere. I do like, be I the, kind of like the idea that Windermere was posing as Dougie Miller. Milford in some of his last <laughs> meetings. Who said that? I think it was John. Nice. That that he was posing with Dougie as Dougie Milford in disguise, which would be his first really truly effective disguise. disguise. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can totally imagine him sitting there doing it. You know, somebody had an interpretation about that. The theory of someone tampering with stuff in the Twin Peaks history could be could be very logical, only because. The historical stuff seems to be accurate. Yeah. So, yes, right. so for why why change d- this history of Twin Peaks in certain yeah. ways, but then the historical aspects for 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 what uh, Mark Frost wrote are accurate are not really changed. It just seems weird. So someone maybe doesn't yeah. want people to know about this town, wants to cover some things up. Right. Yeah. There's a saying, or there's. But a then th- again, like I said, I mean, how would that ever be revealed to us? I mean, even the yeah. thing that John said was like, well, maybe they would discover it, and they'd say, look at these documents, and someone would go, oh no, this, uh, this is forged. But that doesn't tell us why yeah. or give it a purpose. It would, I, to me, so to me, the whole forgery route, it just seems like it basically ruins the book. It makes mm-hmm. it kind of pointless. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, you know, I agree in a way because I would imagine that TP, when she's on the thir- in season three, she could yeah. be the person, obviously she read all this, so in conversation yeah. she could say, well, I read in the ledger this. 
It, it, that's if, true. Okay. I, that's how I was seeing it. Like, and then it would just be brought up in bits in the show. Mm-hmm. If, yeah. If it were to be like this book, might not even the ledger might not even be brought up in the show. We don't know. Um, yeah. But she I could feel be like we'll see it. But yeah. They show inside like what it looks like. Yeah. And it's kind of a cool design, you know, and, and that would be something I think would be fun to show on the on the show. Sort of musty old book with the binding and the mm. cobwebs and stuff. Yeah. A few weeks ago there were rumors that this was volume one and there'd be a volume two. I think there was a website yep. that was promoting this book and it put volume one. And then Mark Frost yep. in that uh, I zero nine or whatever that website is Basically, somebody I saw asked. That, yeah. yeah, basically, Mark Frost said, "Yeah, there's going to be another book after the Showtime series." I think he basically spe- he basically said, "Yes, there's going to be another." What book. What it could be yeah. the accurate? What What if it's? I mean, not the same book exactly. <laughs> I still don't understand why. Like, what's the the well, purpose? How is that, what's the payoff of that? I mean, yes, somebody was misled in the red herring, but like, what is the payoff? With just not even doing that in the first place, it just seems like. Yeah, I mean, can't get, I can't get behind it. I can't get behind it. Why? Yet. <laughs> why change uh, Norma's mom's death? What is the payoff on that? Uh, it's what, funny. You, I didn't notice that. You know, everybody else picked up on that, and I totally blew past it. And then later, someone pointed out it says that her mother dies. Her mother's on the show. Someone had asked Mark Frost on Twitter about Norma's mom. What did he write back? All will be revealed in time. In time, in time. Postcard stamp is from three months later because it's a moon landing, which hadn't happened yet. Right. Yeah. I think uh, John Thorne... a lot about that. Yeah. John Thorne and Red Room Podcast were talking about So, that. like you say, Joe, what would be the ultimate goal? for? What would be the payoff of this person doing it? Because it's minor things. It's not big yeah. things. I mean, okay, someone's death is big, but in the, the grand scheme of Twin Peaks, it's not that big. No, not at all. Well, here's yeah. the best and, thing. And here's the other thing. Yeah, keep going. Sorry. All I wanted to say was about these characters. Near the end of the story, um, Major Briggs says that Major Briggs and Dougie Milford together wrote about the characters in this dossier. So it's interesting that to see here that they spelled it out that it was not just Major Briggs doing this. It was also Dougie. Yeah. And Dougie already has a, a history of tampering with things or trying to right. you know trying to mess with people and yeah, yeah. rewrite history yes. yeah I think so I mean the theme of somebody tampering or even not knowing or you know I love that they brought this into it too but uh, you know, the, is it the Illuminati or is it the Masons or mm. the, Illuminati you know, all seeing eye Masons. right so <laughs> it's like Oh, yeah, there's going to be a bunch of YouTube videos about this now. And <laughs> look at, yeah, so I, I don't have a problem with the idea of those themes. It's just the idea of putting it in a spin-off book that then has to be resolved on the series somehow and almost certainly won't be just because mm. of Lynch's style. I just, it seems like, I can't. I can't see. I I could see them pulling something like that off on like Lost, where it's a little more like literal. But mm. I just I can't I can't wrap my head around how there would be a payoff for this book that's not in the book that we have right now in front of us. Yeah. Maybe if there's some hidden sort of thing for the list of seven, there's a final line or two of the book reveals somebody's identity in a shocking way, and apparently in the first edition of the book, he hid that last line like behind the book jacket cover. You're talking about finding something at the end. The audiobook ver- version at the end has some weird gibberish 
at the very it end. It sounds like it's backwards. It sounds like it's backwards, so I reversed it so I could hear it forward or but it still sounds yeah. It still doesn't sound anything and I'm trying to figure out is it is it a foreign language or what? Mm-hmm. But but it's like why do they put that there? Because if you listen to it, it sounds like it's backwards. John Thorne has a theory that has to do with alternative time. Possibly Annie, when she said write it in the diary to Laura in Twin Peaks Firewalk with me, that maybe that altered time. I mean, so he's playing mm. with that. There is a whole there is a whole thing with time travel a little bit. I mean, it's it appears that Major Briggs in Twin Peaks when he goes missing for a couple days, he's wearing a uniform of a pilot. Yeah. But it's like you know, it's not in that right time period. So there's there's this idea that he could have time traveled Agent Jeffries where it seemed like he was traveling time that he was gone yes. for a couple years even in the script of Fire Walk I mean, there's a lot about time about clocks and then messing around with time I mean the missing pieces Cooper and the little man are in the red room and this whole thing is are you in the past or are you in the future we always said that time doesn't really matter in the red room right. it doesn't move it, yeah. it just is. So I mean, yeah. there's a whole, so John Thorne I think has this, is is still researching it, but he has this theory about could this be an alternate timeline? But I'm beginning to believe that this was done on purpose. Like I believe mm. either somebody is purposely. <laughs> I don't really like, try to get into politics on this show, but there are politicians who like to rewrite history. They will. They have done wars and they've done. They've messed up our country, and somehow they rewrite it and they try to change. What actually happened, and I think politicians on all sides do that. They kind yes. of they create a new narrative. If you remember the time where you're able to go back to actual facts, you realize that's not true at all. Yeah. So it's, you do wonder: is somebody purposely altering these uh, this information for a purpose or reason? I I think this was found. I think this whole box with the dossier was found in an investigation. It was uncovered in some kind of investigation. I want to believe the investigation probably had to do with the Blue Rose cases, which they kind of hinted at, Gordon Cole cases. So you wonder if they were doing something and they found this, and maybe somebody wanted them to find it and purposely is trying to rewrite history. Who do you think that is there? Suffered some bumps in the old noggin, eh, Phil? What the hell did he say, Albert? That's Special Agent Dale Cooper. Where in the hell have you been, Jeff? So the other option is that it's alternate universes, an area where it's valid and it coexists with the other information. And I think I don't have, I've always kind of suspected the show is somehow going to toy with that idea. Mm. But if the book is meant to lead us into that, my issue with that is it doesn't do it enough. Hmm. Gives us these little things. And maybe that's supposed to be like, oh, we're giving you a hint that these little things are different and that means that other things can be different too. But put it this way, they seem random. They seem random things to get. I'm not sure what it would tell us that Ed met Nadine 15 years later after going to Vietnam Hmm. versus meeting her in high school. When did you get married, Ed? Right out of high school. Norm and I had been together about four years, and everybody figured we'd get hitched. That'd be that. I barely knew Nadine to say hello to. And that spring, one bad weekend, Norma ran off with Hank. I was so twisted up inside, I couldn't see straight. When I opened my eyes, there was Nadine right in front of me. And there was something so sweet, so helpless about her. We drove all night, ended up in some little town in Montana, out past Great Falls. And I asked her to marry me. Half joking, half drunk, half crazy. We 
took his life before we found the justice of the peace. And Norma, well, she hadn't even slept with Hank. And the look on her face when she found out. Nadine and I, we went up to my dad's old cabin up in Eagle Pass, honeymoon. I was hoping maybe we'd get around to talking about a divorce, annulment, something. But Nadine was so happy. And you know, by golly, I shot out Nadine's eye on that honeymoon. It doesn't seem to change fundamentally the characters anyway. If, if we're going to have alternate universes, I think it's got to be... I shouldn't say change the characters, but, like, change their lives. They should be the same characters. Yeah. And that would be important to me. I don't want... Um, like, for example, if they did something where it's like, oh, Leland didn't kill Laura. But if it's like, oh, he's a good dad and Bob was never a part of him, <laughs> that changes the character too much. Right. You know? So you could have something where it's like there's a different... One decision was made differently that sent them in a different direction, but that core of the character still has to be true. Mm. So yeah. the stuff that... Well, for one thing, it didn't change their outcomes. It changed the, the early parts of their lives, not the later parts, mm. for the most part. Like, there were a few things that were out of step with the show, but mostly they were, like, things that were left out, like, you know, never mentioning Annie, obviously. Mm, yeah. But to me, if I'm thinking an alternate universe or a forking kind of narrative path, I would think, like, in version one, uh, you know, Ed meets Nadine in high school, and they go on a hunting trip, and then, you know, he should try out. But then something much stranger happens. She, she like, runs away and something else and this and that. And then in the other version, you know, they go on a hunting trip, as in high school and he shoots her out and then we see the outcome that's on the show. But that's not what Frost does here. What he does is he has, you know, version A where they go on a hunting trip, shoots her eye and we see them, you know, go on as it does on the show. And then he has version B in which he doesn't meet her in high school. He goes off to Vietnam and mm. he comes back and then he meets her in the 80s and he shoots her eye out and then it ends up with a show. So I guess what I'm saying, that was a convoluted way of saying it, in Frost, this is Frost's version of alternate universes. He's having different beginnings come to the same outcome instead mm. of the same beginning come to different outcomes. Yeah. I'm not yeah. sure that totally makes sense. To no, me. it does. I think that's interesting. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like almost yeah, forgetting. So, like, like, what's the point of it then? Yeah, so like, exactly. Yeah, it's a yeah. little too. It deviates and then it gets comes back and dovetails. And I don't. Yeah. So, so really, for me, I'm kind of stuck with almost wanting it just not to be something more elaborate, like a, a alternate, at least for the book, for it to be alternate universes or a forgery. So, yeah, <laughs> which I yeah. guess a lot of people find unexciting or like, oh, come on, like, we got to come up with a... But for me, it's more like, no, I'd rather this just kind of be... Press. And, and you can rationalize most of it. Yeah. Um, the Audrey Ben thing, you could twist that around and be like, well, she just wasn't telling him that she was still mad at him. I actually came here to update you on my trip to Seattle. Right. Update away. Okay. The Packards are using Twin Peaks savings and loan to funnel cash to the Ghostwood Project, but the bank is keeping a very low profile. It seems they don't want any bad publicity. Oh, they don't. Well... Bad publicity is exactly what they're going to get. It was really odd where she was going to be a protester and her dad didn't seem to know about it. 
Whereas in the series, it was clear to me that Ben Horn and Audrey had a conversation about protesting the the Ghostwood Estate project. Right. She was doing it on behalf of Ben, not against him. Yeah. I like this version in the book better, to be honest, but it's not what happened. Mm, But I would like it more if it had been that. You know, like people have said, oh, it's sort of the Audrey of season one. I mean, this book has a lot. I mean, it, it... it's interesting. It, it could you could just think about it like they're telling they're telling history as as they remember it. Um, so there's going to be right. inaccuracies. I, mean, I think that's how I rationalize the, the these tiny these little mistakes. Because like you say, Joel, what would be the outcome to change the beginning of a story? But the outcome of the story is generally the same. Yeah, I don't it get doesn't the make point any sense. That. Yeah, yeah. And so, actually, this is the first time I've been able to sort of articulate that. I've been. I haven't been able to put my finger on what exactly bugged me about it, but that's that's sort of it. It's like, if this was an alternate universe scenario set up, mm. it should have ended with, like, you know, and then Laura Palmer went off to college. Something yeah, like, right. Or yeah. there was no bank explosion, and it's like, that would really make you sit up and be like, whoa, wait, you know, but this is like a little, if it's really an alternate universe, it's a little too coy. It's like, mm. look at these little changes we're making, but don't worry, it's, it's still ending up at the same place. We got Chet Desmond in this. Uh, briefly they mentioned, mentioned him, yeah. yeah. So John Scott was very eager to lord that over John. <laughs> I noticed. <laughs> uh, yeah, foil his theory, right. his dream know. theory. Dream theory. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was also saying to Ben that Lynch, you know, he he is editing this show right now. So this show hasn't even have a full shape of what it's going to be. And is he still editing it? Well, I mean, I'm assuming he was editing this when this book was being written. Maybe when the book was written, but I think they oh, have. Yeah, I think yeah. they have finished. Yeah, oh, shooting it too. I think yeah, for a lot so, of it. Right. So what so, Frost did is just create this book without Lynch's input. So it sort of right. like stands on its own. Yeah. Mark Frost said that yeah. it took him a year to write this. So wow. Like, yeah. Yeah. The past year. So. So I mean, yeah. for all we know, we could get into season three and this dossier might be mentioned in the first episode and never again. Or we don't know. It would be a product placement. that It was like, oh, to learn more. Yeah. <laughs> Read the book. So. Yeah. I don't really think we're going to see any flying saucer stuff on the show. No. I don't no. think it's – I think this is just Frost using Twin Peaks as a jumping off point for something that interests him. Martha Nockhamson says – and she – I. I could never quite figure out if she was sort of speculating on this from what she'd heard or if she had something more concrete because footnotes weren't totally clear. It sounded like this was something, this was an idea she got from Catherine Coles, but she said that Frost was interested in the idea of UFOs and wanted to make that actually the plot line and, and Lynch like nixed it, like, no, we're not going to do UFOs. Yeah. So if that's the case, that would explain an awful lot about this book. It's like, now he can finally do his Twin Peaks UFO story Well, still in the end saying, you know, hey, maybe these are extra-dimensional beings. We don't really, we can't say that from outer space. Yeah. But he gets to play with all the UFO stuff that really he, he, they set up on the show, and then they kind of did a little bit of a switch and said, oh, no, it's, we're not going to do UFOs. It's all, uh, it's all from the woods, you know? Yeah, Joel, it's interesting you mentioned about uh, UFOs. You know, something we hadn't really talked about in Firewalk With Me was this whole idea that maybe the spirits were aliens. And in the script, yeah. in the script, I think Bob Angles, maybe maybe this was his contribution, or maybe it's both Lynch. There was whole talk about the spirits came from another planet, and I think the planet was cream corn. 
Do you, do you yes, have a background right. about that? I remember him talking it's about that. Horrible now, idea. Was that actually in the draft of an actual script? I thought so. Or was I... it just something they talked about? That's a good question. Have you seen that script? That John Thorne's talked John to me Thorne about posted? John, oh, no, I haven't looked at that. No, John's mentioned <laughs> it. Okay. I, I should check that out. Maybe yeah. you're right. Maybe I've just heard it so many times I think I don't that it's know. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure if it was ever scripted or if it was just something they discussed before the script stage. Yeah. I do, maybe I'm thinking of Wrapped in Plastic and uh, the interview with Bob Angles where he talks yeah. about that these the came from the planet of cream corn. And I was like, oh, yeah. no. thank God they didn't go silly. that direction. Yeah. Yeah, stuff, but uh, it's, Mike stole a can of corn, or, or or Bob stole a can of corn from the planet. I like them going to the UFO stuff, but I don't like oh. the idea of aliens being <laughs> the owls. I like that being a mystery in the show. I like the idea of the owls being right. maybe spirits or the unknown. Yeah, it's cool I in the book. Left that ambiguous in the book. You didn't think so? Oh, in the book, there is the picture of the alien and the owl. They kind of mesh together. Mush together. Yeah, I kind of like that one. That was kind of creepy. <laughs> it is creepy. But I don't like the idea of Twin Peaks yeah. going down the UFO well, route. Extra-dimensional or interdimensional beings is, is a much more fruitful sort of phenomenon to go with in terms of if they're going to codify Twin Peaks and tie it to any anything at all mm. other than just these mysterious images that aren't explained... It makes more sense, I think, to go in that direction than to sort of say they flew from another planet in another solar system and yeah. came to ours. That, that It just doesn't quite click with the themes of Twin Peaks. I mean, in the book it works because this is a different beast. It's just book. It, you, you don't have to read the book to watch the show yeah. and all that stuff. But, yeah, I like the show being a mystery and that's where Frost, he's giving us some meat to the bone, to the mystery, and yeah. some of this aspect. And it's cool. But I almost, I take it that this book as a bonus. We yeah. you read it, you consume it, but it doesn't follow the narrative of the show all the time. And, you know, there was inconsistencies with the Laura Palmer book, the Dale Cooper book. I mean, th these are more in your face, mm -hmm. I think. I think the, the, these books just stand alone by themselves as just something extra. I, you know, it would be interesting to see how this all ties into season three, if at all. Right. So, Joel, where do you think this fits in for you? Like, if you were going to rank the Twin Peaks books, I would. I guess you could even include the Access Guide. So, Access Guide, the Cooper yeah. book, Laura Palmer, and now this being the fourth book. Well, it's sort of apples and oranges, you mm -hmm. know? It's true because they're all so different and they serve such different purposes. I think the Laura book's always kind of going to remain the best one in terms of, like, emotional impact. Hmm. Um, it's the one that's kind of close. I mean, you know, the Cooper tapes are close to a character, but it's sort of tonally all over the place and stuff like that. Like, the Laura one is sort of got the most compelling, like, person that you kind of care about as you're reading it, and it gets you invested in their life. This is a, it's a totally different beast where, you know, I don't think, well, nobody cared about Dougie Milford on the show, and after <laughs> reading this, you're still not really going to care about him. Oh, yeah, You'll yeah. Be, might be more interested in him and think, right. oh, that guy actually kind of, he was an interesting guy. But you're not going to like, you're not really going to be that much more invested right. in him as yeah. a character. So. so you're saying that you don't think they should end a spinoff and had his own TV show? <laughs> yeah. The Milford well, Files? If, if, if they'd gone with their first casting that they wanted to do and gotten William S. Burroughs to play uh, 
Dougie Milford, uh, you'd be able to see this book in a whole different light. You know, yeah. I mean, just yeah. imagine, totally jump to a side point here. There's one thing that drove me nuts, and I put this on Twitter and talked about it. Um, I can take the inconsistencies with the show, but there's one character who, within the space of several paragraphs, is in, like, three different places at once, is three different ages at the same time, and it just makes no sense. And I've been trying to figure out why this is. So that character is Robert Jacoby, Lawrence Jacoby's brother. Hmm. And if you actually follow the chronology set out in the book, sometimes, you know, within a single page, this guy was a 16-year-old third grader in college writing for the Twin Peak Gazette while living across the state and not going to that town for five years. Wow. You sort that out. I certainly can't. It makes no <laughs> sense whatsoever. I'll have to I mean they that. say he's yeah. born in nineteen thirty one. Yeah. But then they say that Margaret Lanterman was abducted as a nine year old in nineteen forty seven and then it says he met her in the third grade. So what was he an eighteen uh. year old third grader <laughs> or a sixteen year old third grader in nineteen forty seven? Plus, it then says he was 16 or 17 right after World War II and went back to Hawaii before he attended college. There's another contradiction. Oh, um, wow. And then they show the article that he wrote earlier in the in the book, you know, mm. where it's like he's writing this article about this little girl who was stolen, but then he's telling us he's her classmate. What? Huh? Yeah. <laughs> so I, there was something so off about that character, and Frost is generally pretty careful in the rest of the book. You know, he makes sure Dougie Milford's, like, in his early 30s in World War II and, and in his late, you know, in his early 60s in, like, 1960s. So it's like it all adds up, and then you have to throw this character into it mm. where it's totally nonsensical and it kind of distracted me. So either that character could be some sort of flurry, which, again, I, I don't know what the point of that would be or what the payoff or how it would work. Yeah, time Or traveling. I'm trying to think, how could he make such big mistakes Right. And one thing that occurred to me is he was writing this book and it was supposed to come out earlier than it did. Maybe thought he was wrapping it up in the fall of, God, was it only a year ago? I can't believe. Mm. Now it's, is that the point now where it's been going on so long? I feel like it's been like three or four years. <laughs> it's only been two. So it was only a year ago that Catherine Coulson died. So yeah. yeah, he's probably finishing the book up and maybe he thought I should write a nice, and it is a very nice moving tribute to her mm. in the book. Yeah, and yeah. But maybe he did that. He said, oh, I'll have the, uh, Jacoby's brother do it. And he forgot that he had, you know, done all this other stuff with the character that, that wouldn't be compatible with this, you know. Mm-hmm. Although even then, you still have the, the stuff about, you know, 17 in World War II and 9 in 1947. <laughs> yeah. like, so, so it's still a bit of a hodgepodge. But I thought maybe that could be it. The other thing I forgot to mention, it says Dougie went back to Twin Peaks and bought the newspaper from Robert, like in the early 70s. Hmm. Um, I don't think they give a date, but then they show the newspaper that he edited that's all these issues in the 70s. And so according to that, Robert Jacoby has died of MS. And then his, his thing about the log lady is written in 1986, and it says he died in 1986. Hmm. So that, that's, there's, there's, not only are his birth dates contradictory, his death dates are totally contradictory, and we have him writing as the editor of the newspaper more than 10 years after Dougie was publishing things for the newspaper. Very odd. I have to review that now. Wow. I have to so, look at that. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. I pick up on that just because I, I have a weird thing about, like, years. I, I somehow have a good memory from knowing when people are born and stuff like that. Like, 
you know, all, all my cousins, I know what year they were born and all wow. that type of stuff. That's impressive. So it's like, that just leapt out to me right away. Like, I'm doing the math, like, ways things. But I feel like even if that weren't the case, I would have noticed some of the stuff. Just the fact that he's talking about being the log lady's classmate mm. and then talking about stuff that happened before that that he was, like, an adult for. And that, that would have, I think, caught my eye. So can't figure that one out, but I have to always bring it up now. <laughs> Joel, do you think you'll read the book again? Will you uh, listen to the audiobook? I'll definitely listen to the audiobook. You'll love it. Um, You'll love it, Joel. I could see myself maybe going back and reading the book after the series airs. Yeah. I don't know if I'd read it again before that. Like I said, it's a it's a good read, but a dense read, you know? Mm. I could see myself picking through certain sections and kind of reading it that way, you know? Totally. Looking at, looking at different spots that are interesting. Where do you think this book stands? This is not something you have to read or know to get into season three. But it does add to the overall story. Mm -hmm. But because Mark Frost has said he doesn't believe in the word canon, he doesn't like to use that word, he finds this just to be the universe with different ways of telling the story of these people and places. I almost feel like this book is a great addition to the Twin Peaks mythology, but I also don't feel that it's necessary. It's a bonus. Mm -hmm. I look at this book, I look at all the books as bonuses. Yeah, it fleshes out the characters more, it fleshes out the town and the mythology. You're right, I think people can enjoy just the series and TV show by itself, but this if they want more, yeah. there's these books. Can I trust any of these people? Can I trust TP, the agent? Oh, can, can you I say who TP is? Sure. Is a female agent... On the audiobook, you hear a female uh, mm. voice. So the TP stands for Tamara Preston. It's interesting. Her initials are TP. Right, like Twin, Twin Peaks. Peaks. Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of cool. I wonder if this is going to be, she's going to be part of the agency to help find Cooper or right. f figure out what's going on. And the fact that they had her footnoting the whole thing. Yeah. Mm. yeah. That suggests she's a character who's going to be on the show because... They really thrust her presence into this book. And it would be good to come, the three of us, to come back after season three at some point and come back yeah. and say, how does this book tie in? How about, how about this? How come you changed the idea, totally changed the idea from the secret lives to secret history? Because it wasn't just a title change. Somebody went back and looked at the press release for the secret lives of Twin Peaks. Mm. And it explicitly said, this book is going to cover the characters between the show leading up to the new one. Hmm. Maybe what... they just got it wrong, but why would they allow them to get something wrong that off if he always planned to do something more like this? That's what we were. Th I, I was telling Ben. I I I thought yeah. the book was supposed to take us between the two seasons, and for some reason yeah, was that was totally stuck in my head. His plan. I yeah, think. maybe change his plan. Maybe he had more time and he could change his plan. That's why there could be well, two. Yes, that's right. So you're right. So maybe the secret lives is the volume two. Volume two, maybe. Right. <laughs> Yeah, well, that was the implication of that comment on io9. Is like there may be something coming out after the show that's uh, that would be able to do this or that. I think the parts I enjoyed the most: the letter that Audrey wrote, and then the description of what happened at the bank, being one, and then secondly, the stuff at the end with Major Briggs saying Cooper was coming over to see him and something mm. different and all that. Those are now the high watermark in mm. terms of how far we've gone into the chronology of Twin Peaks. Mm. There's nothing in any material, including the missing pieces, that takes us further than those details. That's do. true. Those mm. are That's completely new Blaze territory. So we didn't get the secret lives of Twin Peaks, but we did get two 
little tidbits that told us things we had kind of already knew or assumed mm. that were were kind of exciting, gave a little taste of what it's going to feel like to watch the new show, you know? Yeah. It's true. I we like talked it. about it so much that it almost feels like, I almost feel like not that big of a deal, like, oh yeah, we're going to see the characters again. And gonna be, <laughs> but I think when it actually happens, there's going to be this eerie feeling, oh my God, like, this is new. We're moving into like, mm. and it's happening like now. It won't be like, you know, we're finding out what happened to them since. It'll be like, no, here we are now in this moment moving into the future with them and it's all unmapped and that'll be a lot of fun. So Joel, what have you been up to? Like what have you been doing with the dancingimage.blogspot.com? I've been finally concluding my favorite series. I was doing it off and on for years. I made a list of 100 of my favorite movies Hmm. uh, about five years ago now. And, And four years ago I started doing short reviews on each one. Just not like... Nothing too long, just usually here's what these films are about and here's why I like them and kind of just writing it off the cuff like sort of old school blogging style, you know. Mm. And um, I would do it off and on. I'd stop it for a while. I'd come back to it and had to stop it again this spring. And then it was sort of late summer and I'm like, I've done 41 out of 100. So I had like 59 entries left. Mm. And I just thought, man, I've got to like, you know, it doesn't take that long to do these if I don't watch the movies, if I'm just writing about my memory of them. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just going to start doing this every day and do it till it's done. So that's what I've been doing. I'm now, I resumed at 59 in September. Now a month and a half later, I'm up to number 11. That's awesome. I just published uh, Citizen Kane tonight. So I've got 10 more to go. I'm probably going to try to write them in a marathon this weekend. And, awesome. uh, you know, it's kind of fun doing it that way because it's it's a little it's more like spontaneous you know you're you're just kind of like okay what do i think of this movie right now go did one on my own drive uh, about a week ago and there was an earlier one on Firewalk with me so i'm just hitting my top 10 tomorrow starting with it's a wonderful life awesome that everybody nice. knows very cool and so it'll have some some big classics like that and also some films that are a little more obscure but are you know just as great or even better that's you know, why they're up there. Yeah. So I encourage people to, to check those out. Conclude on November 6th. Wow. Awesome. Cool. Awesome. So, so cool. And we always say how much we love Journey Through Twin Peaks uh, video essays. Yes. I'm always hoping that at someday you'll be doing some new ones. Oh, yeah. I hope so. That'd Season awesome. three. Season three. Well, thank you, Joel, for your time. All right. Thank you guys for having me. Oh, I'm going to stick his head in the gutter where it belongs. Oh, Remember where you are and why we're here. Yeah. I will say I think Mark Frost did an excellent job writing this. I think he's an excellent writer. Yeah. I was really fascinated by the history. A lot of research. And there's a whole, I think it's the log lady who does the eulogy. And yeah. then what a beautiful eulogy. There's these different moments with these characters that are just beautiful. And like there was with Dougie Milford and Major Briggs, they have these conversations about mystery and this deeper, yeah. uh, the deeper meaning of life. And I do feel like this is a book to, to, to really make you think about. And I know it's only been a few weeks, but I still, I'm constantly going back to and, and re-looking at. Yeah, I mean, after listening to the audio, I want to finish the book just to enjoy the photos. Mm. And, um, but did you notice the one photo with um, Leland? And how you could see Bob, but how would you get a photograph of Bob? Are we are we looking at this too critical? I mean, like, are we supposed to just look at this more as the enjoyment for fans, or if you're looking at this book as it's being presented, it makes no sense. Is it to like show us that Bob is leaking out, and someone took this photo and captured him? I mean, 
I what, I've thought? heard people make this argument. I'm gonna make the the case for why this belongs in there. Okay, I want to hear it because I I mean to me it just seems odd. I'm making but. a stretch, but I think it's fun to actually be on the other side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's why this belongs in there. Major Briggs was in the woods after the whole Laura Palmer case, and he had a whole conversation with Cooper about the evil that men do. Yeah. So he he knows that Leland or that Bob was in Leland. And we do have uh, some representation of Bob, and that was through, I believe, sketches from Sarah Palmer. So there's That's true. There are some actual there the are drawings, some drawings, drawings of him. Bob. So I don't know if this is really. This looks like more of an image than a drawing. But if yeah. I can make that stretch to say that there have been some drawings of mm. him, it's possible for Major Briggs, who is the one that's supposedly putting this all together, for him to actually put that together. I will go eat on top of what you just said, mm. and it made me think of all these old photographs where people would take photos and you see the ghosts or ah, a spirit. Yes. So this, t- you c- you could even say they took this photo, and this is a spirit that's following Leland, mm-hmm. and to capture him on film like an anomaly. You know what, Jacoby? He wears those glasses. What are they? Are they red and blue? Like 3D glasses. Right. I bet you if I had red and blue glasses, this might look a little different. We are in the the Lawrence Jacoby section of the. Oh my God! I think oh we my cracked. gosh! I, we just did. I need to get some glasses. We need Jacoby now. glasses in here, Stan. Hello? Hey, Aaron, it's Ben. And Brian. So we have you on to talk about some of these mysteries that you've discovered in the secret history of Twin Peaks. Yes. So it's funny, uh, Brian and I were, were recording. Near the end, I was kind of saying, I need to get Jacoby glasses so that I can see these colors. Like It looks like there's definitely... <laughs> and then the very next day on Twitter, you have actually done that. And can you share about how you decided to actually find red and blue colors and put it on in the book? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I finished the book, and I thought it was really very interesting. I loved it. Uh, I felt like there was a lot of puzzles in it. Mm. Uh, it just felt like they had to be there. Um, with just the weird way that things were left out or dates were changed, uh, it was very, very strange. It was unsettling to mm. uh, reading it. On page uh, 213, uh, Jacoby, when he's talking about Nadine, he kind of really, like, even draws it out, like, with a pencil, his diagram of red and blue glasses, what mm, they do yeah. to the brain. Looked at that, and it just, like, it felt like a, like it could potentially be a big clue. Like, it's like he's, it looks like almost like, hey, you should put on some glasses. And he's almost <laughs> saying that, you know, like, uh, it'll it'll have an effect. You know, I noticed all the different uh, colored pictures with mm. the, the reds and the blues and stuff. And uh, I have the movie, uh, the original William Castle movie, 13 Goats. Huh. And uh, that comes with a red and blue uh, ghost viewer. In it. Oh, wow. the, the, the whole thing with that movie is uh, if you watch it with the red lens, uh, I think you can see the ghost. If you put the blue lens up, the ghost disappeared. Huh. So, yeah. So I basically got that out and started looking at pictures. And I was really surprised when I looked through and saw that uh, half of the picture would disappear with mm. one lens. And then the other half would disappear with the other lens. I don't necessarily think that's, revealing anything because you can see both pictures at the same time but what i think it's potentially saying is that maybe the colors represent different things either in the twin peaks universe or just in this book Hmm. so maybe uh if if the red spectrum has to do with logical things and the blue spectrum has to do with intuitive things 
maybe if we look at what those icons are that are red or blue in the book, maybe mm. it'll give meaning. It'll give meaning to what they represent. You know yeah. what I mean? Wow. That's cool. It's funny, though, like, there's the owl, and then there's the face of an alien, and Brian would say that to me, there's a face of an alien, and I would look at it, and I was like, I can't, I don't know, my eyes wouldn't wouldn't adjust, and, yeah. like, so I couldn't really see the alien, Aaron, until I saw you, what you did to it, until you, I think you must have put the blue on, and then I say, oh, there is the face of, of an alien right there. Yeah, it's really, it's really, like, creepy to see it alone there on mm. the page, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, if the, uh, the owl completely goes away. Yeah, it has to be uh, on purpose, mm. you know? Yeah. And so if that's on purpose, there has to be other things that are puzzles that are on purpose. So that kind of started the whole thing for me. And then you posted on Twitter about how these books spell out um, uh, words and sentences. Can you elaborate and go into into how you discovered this? Absolutely, yeah. So um, for the bookhouse, the special shelf on the bookhouse, I think it's page 237. This whole spread just seemed really odd to me. It just seemed like a really weird thing to put in like a, a dossier or report. And it just, it really screamed like with the numbers and the books and uh, linking to different characters. Like this looks like a puzzle. It just hmm. has to be. I've recently been going to some escape rooms in Los Angeles. And uh, I kind of started to see the book as one big escape room. Like if every page is a puzzle, every page is something that you have to figure out hmm. to escape. And a lot of escape rooms, they'll, they'll use books like this. Um, ah. And you have to kind of determine, you know, what the order means. Um, so when you look on page two, 237, the archivist says, or archivist says, uh, good literature is a mirror through which we see ourselves more clearly. So I took that as a clue that we got to use a mirror for this puzzle. Hmm. So if you take that picture of the books and you put it in front of a mirror, what you see is that the numbers above the books, there's an, a 1, an 8, and an 11. And if those numbers don't reverse if you put them in a mirror. Hmm. Uh, all the other numbers do. Oh. And as I'm sure you guys have seen, like there's weird stuff in the book where the letter I a Roman numeral is used instead of a one everywhere. Mm. And there's a lot of curiosity about why that is, and it feels kind of doctor. But mm. one one central theory I have is that the reason that they're using an I instead of a one is that uh, a, an I reverses perfectly, mm. uh, whereas, a, whereas a one doesn't. You know, it'll, it'll flip, it'll look backwards yeah. um, if, it, if it's typed out and not just written like a line. So anyway, so I see that 1, 8, and 11, they don't change when you put them in a mirror. So then I looked at the books that are associated with each one. So it's the Fear and Loathing book, which is which is 1, War, the Warren Commission, which is 8, and then Double Indemnity, which is 11. And I just put those three books, I wrote them out, like on top of each other. And if you take the first word of each one, it spells out uh, Fear the Double, which... Ooh. Fear the Double. Which, you know... It gave me goosebumps, mm. if, if, you know, for people who are obviously familiar with the finale of uh, the second season with uh, the doppelganger, the mm -hmm. double. It seemed like it was a message to somebody, maybe the person, uh, Agent TP, reading this, like, be aware that there's a double, fear them. Also, we remember what happens if, if Cooper looks in a mirror, he's mm. going to reveal that he's Bob, you know mm. what I mean, like, like the finale there. And then also, uh, with the I and the, uh, or the one and the eleven. If we discount those as really kind of like real numbers because they're written with an I instead of a one, 
Mm-hmm. And the only real number that reverses is the eight, which is Cooper's book, the Warren Commission report. So mm-hmm. that just kind of scre- screamed out to me through the double Cooper, which I thought, you know, it, it freaked me out, to be honest. That's awesome. <laughs> that is I something that. else. I mean, it's amazing that you put that together. I mean, That's you're awesome. the only one I've seen uh, discover this. I mean, Brian, you're on Reddit, but I've never seen no, anybody. No, nobody, come up. you know, I don't, I don't think anybody has discovered this. This is really. Something else. Yeah. I'm really, it's very impressed that you put this all together. Yes, that is awesome. Oh, thanks. The book is so, like, like well put together. It just, like, it demands attention. Mm. And uh, with the way Twin Peaks was, you know, ultimately resolved or not resolved and with the gap, I think we're all hungry for answers. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, and uh, any sort of uh, indication of what the heck is going on in this in this report here. And, and maybe this is all just, you know, is a coincidence. Totally possible. But... It definitely, like, kind of made my heart stop for a second and made me go, like, dude, wouldn't that be amazing if this was, like, a message Mm. that they were trying to give, you know, like, to decode? Because I feel like it just felt weird to see all these books in a row, too. And I felt like they have Lucy's book in there, and I feel like they only put her book in there to get it up to 11 so that they could have the 11 yeah. Uh, flip so we can get that third word, you know? It just felt very, it felt weird, you know? And, and Lucy's not a bookhouse boy. Lucy's not yeah. a bookhouse boy, so it is kind of funny to have her book even in, with them. Yeah, absolutely. And, like, you know, if you're doing, like, an escape room, like, classically what they do there is they, uh, there's a lot of red herrings everywhere. There'll be something in the room that looks really important, like, and very detailed, and it has nothing to do with escaping the room. It's just there to confuse you. So a lot of the stuff uh, that I, felt was like maybe just there to confuse you or kind of like camouflage was, you know, saying that Ed read his book five times or like, oh, Lucy got her book in here because, you know, she paid for them or something like that. Like, it just felt like there's a lot of like kind of like camouflage around it um, to kind of divert divert from the the puzzle. You know what I mean? Right. So I think Lucy's uh, book was number four and it says included because she buys all the books. So that's kind of funny. That, yeah. that was the note there. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and like just looking at these books, um, they just seem so chosen. You know what I mean? Not just to match the characters, the mm. name, like, like Fear and Loathing and then like Double Indemnity mm. and even uh, I think Charlotte's Webb, the last name of the writer, has White. I mean, there's all. it just like kind of seems like there's this was very picked out for, yeah. for yeah. some you know? Interesting. So is there anything else you're working on uh, uh, as you're going through the book? Have you discovered anything else or are there some other things that you haven't worked out yet but still playing around with? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, really just before you guys called, um, you know, obviously a lot of people have been uh, posting about all the inconsistencies in the the book, uh, dates not matching up with the series, Mm. the fact that uh, Norma's mom is just dead. And yeah, she doesn't exist. All of this is very, uh, you know, interesting, and I think it's on purpose. I don't mm. think it's just Mark Frost rewriting because he didn't want to have the actor show up or something like that. What I just found, and uh, I'm gonna have to look into it a little more, is it seems that it's Cooper's report on the Andrew Packard case. Mm. He, where he's the one who writes out on page 191 about Norma's parents being dead hmm. and about all this kind of stuff, right? And then also he says, uh, see, he mentions more stuff about uh, Andrew Packard, and I could be wrong, but I believe he also talks about Andrew Packard being uh, captured, so that kind of dates when this was written. Hmm. Um, if you look on page 191, allegedly Cooper wrote that her parents died. The archivist has a, a footnote where it says, my first question is, why did he write this? So they're almost like, drawing attention to this page. Hmm. Like, why did he write this? And, like, this doesn't make any sense in, in relation to the timeline of the series. 
And then they say, it's my only opinion, but it seems possible he did this as an act of friendship, as a way to tell his new friends hard truths about the losses or trouble in their lives without confronting them. Mm. I believe he may have left these pages in the bookhouse in the hope that his friends Sheriff Truman and Vidya Hurley, both bookhouse boys, might come across them. So that kind of like, and this was just before you guys called, and maybe this is already online, it kind of felt like, what if Cooper wrote this purposefully wrong, and he wanted... Sheriff Truman and Vidya Hurley, like they say, to find it for some reason hmm. and to see. The other thing that's weird about it is that the date on the report is March 15th, 1989. Uh, that's when the report's dated. And I looked online, I, I, the source that I saw online anyway, said that that's, the, like, that's way earlier than he would be writing. Right. Um, it, it, things wouldn't have happened to Andrew. And, and yeah, it's, it's way yeah. earlier in the timeline, yeah. isn't correct? And and of course so, the page right yeah. before that is uh, uh, 190 has the postcard which I know the exactly. Red Room podcast John Thorne has talked about the stamp how it couldn't have been the the moon landing because they had those stamps had come out yet right yeah. absolutely yeah so the whole thing it's all written from Cooper's perspective mm. and we all know that Cooper now isn't who we think he is True. so I think there's a couple theories here there's one that Cooper evil Cooper wrote this and dated it wrong for some reason, to erase the uh, identity of Annie, who's the sister of Norma, to erase her from the timeline for some reason. Hmm. Uh, I don't know why, um, because she's nowhere in the book, as you guys I'm sure know. Yep. Yeah. Um, and uh, maybe the, and the other thing I could think of is that maybe Wyndham Earl wrote it, it wasn't Cooper at all. Hmm. He was a writer from history, because we know he's typing stuff up in the show. We know he's typing up stuff. He right. So, and he's been involved. He, he's definitely had some a relationship with Twin Peaks before even Cooper. I mean, yeah. he's definitely been yeah. searching for the Black Lodge for a long time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, you know, it kind of like almost like you kind of like breaks your mind a little bit to think like what would happen if Sheriff Truman and Big Ed found this report with the timeline being what it is. Like they would look at it and go, "None of this makes sense. There's something wrong with Cooper." Or like, hmm. you know. But, like, you know, I don't know how that fits in, if you know, or if Cooper even wrote it. But it's definitely odd. The entire Cooper thing is uh, screamingly weird yeah. and uh, off. Yeah. I, it, it is one of these things, this book, I don't know who to trust. I don't know if I can trust Gordon Cole. I don't know if I can trust TP. Yeah, I know, I right? If Major Briggs. Yeah, the whole thing is kind of like, yeah, who can we trust? Yeah, but you've been cracking yeah. the codes, so that's awesome. Yeah, I think. Yeah, so I'm, impressed with it. Uh, I'm so, gonna yeah. keep at it. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, but yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's been it's been really cool. Um, Twin Peaks is like a huge influence on me. So, oh yeah, uh, I the I, I feel like people who are just discovering it now are both lucky and unlucky. Uh, they're lucky because uh, the mystery is going to continue so soon, mm. but they're unlucky because we all had to kind of wait and just kind of think and dream about like where this was going. It kind of like almost made it better. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, and yeah. now, you know, it was like all this time to kind of marinate it. And the, totally. the whole world is, I'm a film that's totally influenced my, uh, my work. And it's definitely my favorite piece of art that's uh, been on television ever. Definitely. So, uh, I agree. I, yeah. I, I'm going to keep yeah. at it. Awesome. <laughs> nice. I think I've shared on the show before that, um, that I mean, I have a little bit of background in video production, and and it was because of Lynch and his work, uh, especially starting with Twin Peaks, that it got me into this field. Yeah, that, yeah. So I feel the same absolutely. way. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, Lynch's work challenged me in a way that I'd never been challenged before. Hmm. Um, and I didn't know that you could 
even go there in a narrative. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't even know. You know what I mean? Like, he kind of, like, was the one who made me see that uh, filmmaking, storytelling could be, instead of just a, a straight line, it could be, like, almost like a shared dream or a shared nightmare mm. with this kind of dream logic that totally. you, you don't see all the facts or necessarily understand them, but you feel them. You know what I mean? It was just so weird. So I'm super excited for the next season, obviously, and uh, I'll keep chewing on this book for as long as possible, trying to crack something. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time and coming on the show. Um, where can people find you? Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, at Aaron Mento on Twitter. Um, my, uh, my next feature is uh, called Ugly Sweater Party. You can follow that at Ugly Sweater Party and uh, or Ugly Sweater Film. And uh, yeah, that's I'm on Facebook, Aaron Mento. So uh, I, I really love all the discussion between Peaks. I love uh, I love more discussion, um, more theories, cool. more cracking the stuff. So I hope the conversation keeps going. Yeah, totally. One minute. Uh, tell us more about, about your your film that you've been working on. Yes, yes. Uh, it's a horror comedy called Ugly Sweater Party, and uh, it's this totally insane, weird movie about a uh, Christmas sweater that has been possessed by an evil spirit, <laughs> and uh, someone wears it to an ugly sweater party out in the woods, much like a Twin Peaks kind of a woods. And uh, the person starts to slowly get possessed by the sweater, which used to be owned by a serial killer. Ah, nice. <laughs> nice. I like it. That's awesome. Yeah, we're going to teaser out uh, in the next month or so. Well, cool. <laughs> well, we'll definitely have to like uh, retweet it when you, yeah, when you put definitely. it out there and stuff. I can't wait. Absolutely. Yeah, cool. I'll totally. Um, I'd love to keep the conversation going with you guys. I'll uh, keep you guys attached to anything that seems interesting. Yeah, and we'd love to have you back on again. So if if you find some other things in the book, we could we could have we, it could be a regular segment. We could come you can yeah, come in yeah, and, and share other stuff that you found. But uh, thank you, Eric. Oh, I'd love it. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, guys. Uh, that would be great. All right, you can find us on Twin Peaks Unwrapped at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at Twin Peaks Unwrapped. We're on Facebook. Please subscribe and give us that five star review on iTunes. And to Mark Frost for giving us this great book. Awesome. And we'll be back next week. Thank you for listening. Yeah, silver feet now.